Hi, hi. Welcome back to the Burning Eye podcast. I'm your host, Bridget Hart. Um, It's cold. Well, it's not cold, but it's getting cold. The leaves are turning. Everything's going a nice soft brown, yellowy colours. It's my favourite time of the year. Um, And it's basically Halloween. So what better way to celebrate um, than to have an amazing dystopian working class witch writer on the podcast today. Today we're going to be chatting with the fantastic Louise Vizakali, whose new book, The Pleasure Dome, is out now from burningeye.co.uk. Take your little feelings, junky self, on a dash through a house of fun. Here is hedonism and anisodia, aka the inability to feel anything, nothing. Explore through lyric poetry and dystopian prose poetry. Here are the romantic poets. Here are some of the bands from the 1980s. Here is a bathroom. Here is a place where the super rich get to use your organs instead of their own ofs. Think escapism. Mother's guilt and drink some of it set into an alternate dimension of distorted mirrors and super fun balloons. Dilettantes and the discerning brain are welcome here. With work rooted in word witchery and the working class, Louise Fizakali is a poet from Wigan. In performances, she explores the synergy between poetry, voice and movement in a way that makes the ugly beautiful and the mundane fantastical. Winner of the BBC Radio New Voices Award, European Slam finalist and support artist for punk legend Dr John Cooper Clark, Louise is a true northern powerhouse. Welcome to her world of darkly humorous poetry. Previous poetry collections include the Lolitas and Uniform Factory by Verve Poetry Press, Bird Street and an audiobook Council House Poetry with Nymphs and Fugs. Louise has a degree in theatre and creative writing from Lancaster University and an MA in creative writing from Edge Hill University. She lectures and teaches creative writing in schools, prisons and universities. When she's not writing, Louise is loping around Wigan and wrangling two teenage daughters and two teenage cats. As always, I hope you're sitting comfortably um, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, Louise. Hi. How are you? I am excellent this sunny but cold day. Is it sunny? Like a little bit more. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's getting colder, isn't it? Yeah, I quite like it though, if I'm honest. I'm a big fan of the winter. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm much more of a winter than a summer person. Yeah. yeah. Jumper time is back, everyone. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, on that subject, um, just uh, very quickly to start us off with today's episode, what was the last thing that you ate that made you feel really warm and cosy inside? Well, last night I went to this dance class at, at Northern School of Contemporary Dance in Leeds and I hadn't eaten very much. And then when I came home, I got microwave lentil thing um and actually it was so good and I had some nan brab with it and it made me feel like yeah look at me with my healthy eating and it's so good for the planet and all that and it was actually tasty there's actually like a real smugness that comes from eating lentils I think you're like yeah lentil I didn't know what these were 10 years ago but I know them. <laughs> and it, I love a microwave so anything that goes in the microwave <laughs> yeah. For me. yeah nice nice well um today we're going to be um, congratulating you and talking about your new book, The Pleasure Dome. 
um, which has just come out. Well, actually, in time of recording this, it's the day before it officially comes out, which is really exciting. Um, so for everyone listening at home, we, we've already got our copies. I'm holding mine right now in my hand. Beautiful pink cover with this crazy eyeball on the front. But yeah, what's um, what's the deal with the cover? What's the eyeball about? Okay, there's a couple of things about it. So in the collection, I've got a series of poems that explores this dystopian world. And in the dystopian world, like many dystopian novels, it's got eyes in it. Uh, you know, the eyes that watch us and um, view our every movement. Um, and I like, have a lot of fun playing with the idea of like eyes for information. I like meaning yes, and eyes like the eyeball. So part of the reason there's a big eye on the front is because um, I like the idea of being watched in these sort of societies. And then um, the other reason there is an eyeball on the front is because the guy who designed the eyeball is also the guy who designed the album cover for The Pleasure Dome by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And I just thought it's a really nice link to have the same guy who designed the album cover, which was like obscene and got cancelled and stuff and they had to get rid of it and change it to be the same guy that designed the cover of the book. That is so rock and roll. Yeah, I like that. Louise is a cool, the coolest poet, man. I love that. Yeah, I really like it. And I'd like pink. Pink's like one of my favourite colours. And I think it's such a great pop pop colour. And then you've got like this, what's this thing around the outside of it? Well, initially, the design he made was for an article about kink. And part of the book that was supposed to be exploring some stuff to do with kink and some stuff to do with sex. Yeah. And a little, there's a little bit about sex in it. And there's a little bit in the dystopian world. There's this nightclub called Sirens uh, where you can go, but you don't really go for a sexual experience. You go for like a drink and drug induced virtual reality experience. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the kind of person you're using as your worker is not really a sexual experience. It's more like... Um, you hook into them and they, and um, use the organs. So the idea is that um, the per people in Sirens, the candidates, the uh, they hook up to you and you can take all the drinks and drugs that you like, but the other person suffers the uh, medical and mental ill health of that. Wow. That sounds really, really fun and really exploitative. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like what? Like how? How can we use human beings in other horrible ways? Or how can we really enjoy drinking drugs and stuff, and then not actually suffer any of the ill effects? So that's the sort of thing I was thinking about when I was like imagining this world. Yeah, I really like it, and I really like what you've done with the poems. And I've been also going back and rereading the Lolita's book, which came out with Verve. Um, so I just wanted to know, like, you know, do you see that though the Pleasure Dome is like a continuation of the Lolitas or is this you exploring like a new direction with those themes? For, for me, it's very much a continuation of the Lolitas in some ways. So in the Lolitas, the first book with Verve, I was exploring the power and agency of teenage girls. And at the time, my teenagers were about 12 and 13. So they were just beginning that journey. Um, and that I had my dystopian world in there, but it was like um, kind of activity, what the teenage girls did in the spokes, you know, at home in all these little flats that were all stacked on top of each other. Whereas this book explores 
um, the idea of those teenage girls grown up a little bit more. So okay. in the Pleasure Dome, that one of the girls, Lolita, she's changed her name. She's Amberlene now, and she's now one of the sirens, one of the candidates. Um, and um, I'm exploring like a few years later and the troubles I've had as a parent of teenage girl, so that kind of works. Yeah, I think it's really great um, in terms of, yeah, that you kind of unique relationship between sort of mother and children, especially growing up as girl, teenage girls and um, like the exposure that we have to a highly sexualized society and, and how we deal with that as, as children, as parents and like especially I come from a single parent background. It's just me and my mum, and I write a lot about sex and my mum, <laughs> which she hates. But I think there's something really there about it in terms of like learning about the world through your through your parent, especially navigating that kind of um, thing. And I find it really interesting the way that you've used the same sort of characters and moved them over. It's almost like a, a poetic novel in that sense, where you're. Um, and I'm really interested in things like that in terms of carrying over those um, uh, narratives and those characters and, and moving it through like that. Did you, did you find that that was difficult for you to carry on with? Like, or was there any particular challenges for you in terms of going into the Pleasure Dome and thinking, OK, I need this to be different. I need this to um, sort of ramp it up a bit, change the direction or did you, was it something that you already had in mind when you'd finished the Lolitas? I, I think for me, um, there are many artists in many art forms work with the same signs and symbols again and again, and they address them in different ways. Um, and sometimes you feel a pressure to create something new and unique, but and, and does that kind of fight a little bit with the idea? Like, for example, I'm using the Pleasure Dome as a kind of a metaphor for the brain and the head, but it's mm. also a metaphor for the house and the room. And in my, I have a pamphlet called The Uniform Factory, which is about my family's experiences of war. And I use the, the, the metaphor of the snow globe in that, and the snow globe repeats here. But I feel like this is a positive thing because actually I'm really deep diving do you call it I don't know I'm really just really diving into how I like to use metaphor so for some of the images repeat through the collections and I really enjoy that element because like the idea of the cat so yeah. the um, cats are repeating again and again and William Burroughs wrote a great book about cats and I've got a cat anthology and I like the idea that cats kind of have um you know, human beings inside them. Um, and so that's kind of repeated through some of my work. Um, so in that sort of thing, I find those bits really exciting. One problem with the Pleasure Dome was that I felt maybe I was mimicking myself a little bit. Like right. with Lolita's, I'd found a style that I was really enjoying, which was a style where I, ex I, I, I learned things and I explored through imagination in the dystopian world. I looked at those issues through the lens of imagination and character, as well as like the lyric poems looking at real life and my real genuine feelings with no veneer over it. Um, and then a bit more stuff that could be more visual. So in Lolita's, I've got crosswords, in the pleasure dome, I've got some diagrams of the brain with little, well, they're not haiku, um, the senryu, which are a bit like haiku, but about people. So haiku is supposed to be nature, senryu is supposed to be about people. Right. Um, so I was a little bit, are you imitating yourself? Like thinking this worked in the Lolitas, use this 
framework for the pleasure dome, which is a bit of a problem in my brain. But actually, that's what I wanted to do. That's how I wanted to write. I wasn't finished with that sort of working as in my groove. So why would you just go, oh, I've done one book in my groove? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And as well, that continuation and generational thing of the Lilita growing up and moving on to new challenges. And I like it. And I think that style really speaks to a lot of people, especially a lot of women, especially a lot of working class women who are sort of living that dystopia. You know, we our brains are sort of, you know, wired from patriarchy, from from hypersexualization, from all of these things that we've denied all of our lives. And reading through the book, it's so visceral and really gives you permission to to sort of think your chaos, be like chaos, have it, like be it. <laughs> I, I think that's so important because part of the reason I don't write novels and part of the reason I write poetry is because I like a short form. Yeah. And I think that is linked to neurodiversity and I think it is linked to an ADHD mindset. So for me, a book that flits between things but then actually creates connections in lots of different ways works well for my brain. I know you could read this book by just reading dystopian stuff Mm. Or you could read this book just looking at the things that are about drink or dancing or fun stuff. Or you could look about this book and read it, the things to do with actually mother's guilt and to do with self-harm and to do with very poor mental health. You know, so I, I like that there are lots of layers of meaning within the I think it, it works well for ADHD mindsets. Yeah, no, um, uh, I, I would agree. And I sort of read it with that that multi-layering of things on top of each other and nodding back to like earlier pieces or like moving from one bit to the other like I like a poetry book that does that I think it's um yeah it's good for people that have those kinds of brains that work like that instead of like just having you know these set of poems about this thing and then this set of poems about this thing and you know and the way that you've combined it all really well and allowed that chaos to flow freely and be like yeah the chaos is narrative too and it and it works and and um yeah, I love it. It's great. Also, yeah, because I've published it, so obviously I love it. <laughs> well, thank you, though, because obviously you write something and then you go back to it and then sometimes you look at the poems and you're like, oh, this is a good one. Did I write that? And then other times you look and you're like, uh, is this too simplistic? But then when you perform it, mm. it really lives. So, you know, I do do so much performance, so I also feel like the book flits between work that is just dead strong in performance and would be great in a festival or outside if drunk people walking past yeah. and then things that are actually a bit more experimental and mess about with the sonic form and you know where you like your brain's a little bit like what's happening here so I, I just feel I quite like that I've been able to put all these different bits in myself in this book and I feel like Burning Eye is actually a really great publisher for that like I didn't I wasn't scared of being too experimental or to sort of like poetry for the common people you know like stuff yeah. that rhymes and it's dead easy to understand and it's jokey and light yeah so talking um about performance there um how has um performing been for you since um we've come out of sort of the the pan well not the, obviously we're not out of the pandemic but you know out of lockdown obviously that was like a huge impact on our community um lots of us were forced to like sort of ground what we were doing how was that for you and, and how has it been since then? Well, when I first got the opportunity to perform in like real life, 
after lockdown and my first booking was a festival and I went and did the festival and to be quite frank I wasn't very good like I was doing my work that I knew really really well it felt jittery it felt like you know when you've got a record and it's got scratches and it keeps jumping and hiccuping I was like oh no is this what I do I'm, I'm I was a bit like felt a bit like poopy festival people but they'd not seen anything live for ages either so they were just clapping and seeing happy. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was like a bit like oh no I'm really not really performance ready but then like in the last probably six months maybe four months things have started picking up and now I've got like stuff in my diary every week or every other week which means I feel much more on it and like I did two like little pre-gigs you know for this book where I was testing the material you know seeing what felt right in a performance space and seeing if I could learn any of it mm. and um yeah like some I'm feeling strong now so but the, the kind of lockdown journey has very much been oh no I'm not very good at this um to oh actually no I am all right to oh I don't really care if I'm all right I'm, not, I'm properly feeling it now you know like channeling it and like feeling dead in my flow on stage and that's the most important thing really I think yeah I would agree and I think I think um post lockdown performances have really pushed people to like challenge themselves and and also to forgive themselves quite a lot you know I think before there was a lot of I have to be perfect I have to be polished I have to do this whereas now there's a lot more sort of gratitude just to just to be yeah doing it again and in a live space being on a stage again and and people are sort of present in that feeling of like this is why I do what I do because I love it I, I definitely feel like that because when you're working full-time as a poet sometimes you can get a bit like you can be get a bit jaded and people a bit talk about money a lot and you know do you know what I mean it's quite a very privileged position to be in in some ways mm. you know getting to get paid to go Oh, sorry, did you hear that loud noise? The cat's been so naughty. <laughs> yeah, you're in the book. What more do you want? You want to be in the podcast? <laughs> um, so I feel like I've really, like, value being able to perform again and thinking, oh, even though I always get proper sick nerves before I get up, I, I hate mm-hmm. it. I drive to a gig and I'm going, why am I even doing this? And then when, actually, when I'm on the stage, I'm like, oh, this is why I do it. I actually love it. I love being here with all these people. And I don't know, it's good. Yeah, I sort of feel the same. My, my first gig back, um, I, I was extremely hyperactive and I, I didn't shut up at all. and was just like, and then afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, I've got a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to sleep after. I was like, oh, God. Where am I? <laughs> I completely, yeah, rewired. But then, yeah, like that same thing of like, I take so much more pride in the work that I do now. I put so much more uh, love into it because I love doing it. And, you know, having that taken away from you for, for a short time, you're like, oh, no, actually kind of makes or breaks you as a performance poet I think you know some people have just gone actually that isn't for me and some people have really gone no I really need to get back onto that horse it's like really important um and you've done yeah like a bunch of different um uh, kind of performances and stuff you did Shambhala this year with Burning Eye how was Shambhala oh Shambhala was so so good I've never been to that festival before um and I just love the Shambhala vibe. I love fancy dress. There's lots of fancy dress. It's very rare that I go to a festival and I feel like one of the most underdressed. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I need to up my festival game. It's looking so cool. And I, I like that. I like to be around that sort of visual 
handmade costume stuff. I've I've layered these items of clothing. I love that it feels like art walking out. So I like that. I like the nudity. I like the there's lots of nudity around and it looks mm, like yeah. nudity. Like not like it was like family friendly and nude, which I thought was interesting. And also I loved all the political aspects of it. And the audiences were so good. I think because there were audiences who were like like on the left coming to this festival wanting a good time but also got the brain switched on as a poet the audiences in um phantom laundry the venue were just awesome they were here for poetry they wanted to listen you didn't have to do a dumbed down set where it's a bit like people are probably not really present so you've just got to do something really simple and repetitive that's like hey, I'm drunk. this is good yeah. you know like it was like a good i don't know a good mix of audience yeah, oh, yeah, I really love Shambhala. It's my favourite festival. I was really sad that I couldn't join you guys this year. Oh, everyone missed you and, like, um, Rebecca did a big shout-out for you because you were poorly, so it was really, you know, it was sad that you weren't there. That's right, next year. Next year. I'm going to go next year. <laughs> um, and, and you've toured with um, John Cooper Clark, and I don't want to talk too much about that because I'm sure you get asked that a lot, but is there a big you know what's sort of the difference between that kind of tour and you know just just sort of yeah doing like another poetry gig is there a is there a difference or do you feel like you're a different kind of poet when you do those kinds of gigs okay so it's a bit of a weird thing that really so I was lucky enough to tour with John Cooper Clark when Mike Gary hurt his leg <laughs> I don't want him to be ill again but uh, I was lucky enough to tour with John Cooper Clark and there's pros and negatives. So some of the really good things about that were all the audiences are full, are, are sold out. Mm. So you're getting like 2000 seat venues and everyone's there. So that's awesome. At the time, I didn't have any books or merch, which is a bit sad because like the audience for John Cooper Clark want to buy stuff. So I could have made loads of money like selling merch and I didn't have, I didn't have any books. Oh. Uh, so that was a bit sad. Um, in terms of financial, you know, when you're making your living as a poet. Um, so it was good doing such big audiences. Um, it, he's a really interesting person. I suspect he's on the spectrum. He monologues a lot about his, his special interests. I mean, I'm, I don't, is it okay to say I suspect someone's on the spectrum? I don't know. But I just feel like if I was his relation, I'd say, oh, have you ever thought about getting assessed? Um, and... He's a really interesting, knowledgeable person who knows so much about literature and music. Um, and he's a former addict, so like his journey to recovery is really interesting. And he's so all that's good. Um, what is less good is that um like there's been some like upset in the trans community because he um has lots of people in the trans community have watched his show and said it was not okay and I think he does one joke about someone about him being in hospital and being um like booted out because someone's having a gender reassignment surgery and like I've not challenged him on that because since I knew that was a thing I've not worked with him and like with anything like that like particularly someone who's older I think the correct response is to challenge them and see what is do they understand that this could be offensive or what are they thinking and blah 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 uh, and it so that's been a bit like mm. yeah that's a real yeah. thing in the in the sort of punk poetry community with like a lot of the older punk poets they tend to really some of them have quite yeah transphobic views or just say things that you're like oh well sort of the the younger punk poets where most of us are trans or non-binary and 
you know, or, or you know, gender critical in some way of, you know, sort of that's, you know, quite a lot about what our material is about and, and things like that. So it's like interesting to watch like the different generations of, of punk poets and what they choose, what their political focus is and how they how they do that on stage and learning from old the older generation, but also learning from the younger generation as well is like really important, I think. Uh, but I just asked about it because you know, we might have some listeners here that are sort of wondering what the difference is, you know, of, of you know, because for a lot of us, like those kind of big sold out tours, that's like not really a thing or anything like that. It is, I would say, in like Europe and uh, like places like the Nordic countries, like Sweden and stuff, they love that kind of thing. They have loads of massive sold out venues for like performance poets. They revere them over there. They They get paid properly and they do all of these things. So... Um, you know, I feel like I do a lot of like DIY stuff. A lot of poets I know do sort of DIY. Um, and I, you know, what what's your pref- what's your preference? The sort of doing the big tour or the sort of DIY? Well, I can tell you now, the money on the big tour that you get paid is the same as the money on the DIY stuff. All right, well there we go, everyone. DIY or die. <laughs> yeah, you're not getting paid any more money. The only opportunity, the, the best, the, the the value added is you get to sell a lot of merch mm. and for John Cooper Clark is so famous to so many people that you get a little of a bit of the shine rubbed off on you. You know, like you take a little bit of the stardom along with you on your little shoulder. And yeah. people, like the same way when you go, oh, I've written in The Guardian. Oh, well, I've got a little Guardian shine here. Oh, I've been on BBC Radio 4. Take a bit of that shine with you. It's not really like the... I, I, I um I like don't get me wrong I like performing to a two thousand seater but I'm happy to perform to three people in a room if I'm honest it doesn't it doesn't really change my experience I don't get more nervous in the bigger venues I'm more nervous in the smaller venues I oh, just want yeah. people to connect with me and connect yeah. with my stories and then talk to me after and say oh you did a poem about your ex being in the army my brother's in the army or you did a poem about your daughter self harming my daughter self harms. I, I want those human connections when I perform. So I don't care if it's three people or 2,000. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really nice. Um, Did you... Um, So you are... Um, when this podcast comes out, the book will have been out, which is really exciting. And you've got a launch coming up, haven't you, for this? Yeah. Do you want to tell us about the sort of... We were sort of discussing it before we started recording, but... Tell, tell me again, you know, a little bit about the launch and what you've got in store for it. Okay, so I uh, live in Wigan and um, in Wigan, the art centre is called the Old Courts. It's an old court building and I'm doing my book launch at the Old Courts downstairs in the Bailiff's Bar, which is quite fun because the the original function of the buildings was like, you know, if you had, if you had, if you're in Lords of Debt, <laughs> um, you go and um, speak to the magistrate there, and they've been changed into performance venues. So I'm doing my book launch in the former debtors bar, and um, it consists of some open mic themed around the book. So it's themed about nightclubs and escapism and getting older and parenting guilt. You know, that's kind of the vibe, um, and 
I'll have hosts who are pretending to kind of be the candidates and the candidates are obviously the people in Sirens nightclubs. They've got your funny ears on. I know you can't see it because it's a podcast, but I did the international sign for bunny ears then. So you know (laughs) what that is. Um, Have a little go yourself at home. Um, So I'll have um, candidate hosts. uh, And then also, this is probably the more exciting thing. Uh, I'm going to do some private performances in the bathroom. Um, and when I invite you into the bathroom, um, I say like, uh, welcome to my little home, welcome to my little head, it's a pleasure dome, take a seat. Um, and the audiences of three in this venue, but in other venues it could be audiences of six, depending on how the toilets are lined up, or one. Um, and you sit on the toilet, the seat down, I'm assuming. And um, then I just do some of the material from the book. But I'm setting up the toilets like a little bit like an immersive theatre space so that even though you've come to some toilets in a in a like a club almost, like a bar, you're actually and we all know what toilets in nightclubs and bars are like, um, and how you speak to people and how they tell you your life story. But I've kind of mocked this up a little bit so it's a little bit like my home. So like one of the sinks is full of dirty dishes and there's some like kids' drawings up on the wall and there's loads of black hair on the tiles like you get in my bathroom when there's all uh black hair on the shower. (laughs) So it's kind of like, actually, even though you come into the to- a nightclub kind of toilets, you're actually kind of coming to the toilets in my home. And I'm going to tell you some like sad things what happened and some funny things. So yeah. that's kind of happening. So if you come to the book launch, well, it should probably be done by the time the podcast is out. But other performances, depending where I am and what different venue, then um, there's that mix of sort of like personal, these are my personal stories with kind of like more humorous stuff. Yeah, that sounds amazing and really unique in terms of that kind of. Yeah, I love that. I want to come. I know you. Don't worry. Don't worry, Bridget. I'll. I'll. I'll I'm gonna. My plan is longer. Come term. to the south. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Do you know all my gig dates so far in the north, and I have poems will travel. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not like obsessed over money. It's not like oh, she won't come to. Bristol for 50 quid or whatever I will probably will yeah I've actually got quite a big bathroom and my toilet is like in the corner of the room it's in a really weird position so I might just invite you around yeah we could do some um with those like house gigs that lots of festivals kind of like Manchester International Festival yeah 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 that's quite cool actually yeah maybe I'll um I've just thought of something and now I'm like okay well I'm just gonna hyperfixate on that for 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) that sounds great I really hope the launch goes well it sounds like beautiful and you thought so much about it like with your little details and the washing up and the the hair on the shower which is grotesque and amazing at the same time I love it um yeah I'm jealous I'm not going to be there but it would um you know obviously everyone listening at home is clearly jealous as well but you can follow Louise at Louise the Poet on social media uh, so you can find out where Louise is going to be doing gigs uh, you can get a copy of the Pleasure Dome from uh, the Burning Eye website, which is burningeye.co.uk. Uh, Louise, where they where can people get your book direct? Oh, they can call my website if you want to. Uh, www.louisethepoet.co.uk. I've not put it up yet because it's not out till tomorrow. So that's one of my jobs for today. So it'll be on the website. Yeah. So you can buy it direct from me and I'll sign it. And I normally put a little like, I normally face stalk 
I mean, this is maybe not a good idea, but this is what I do. When people put an order through, I normally face stop the person, see if I can guess from the social media which poem they'd like and put a recommendation in. So oh, that's really nice. <laughs> well, and if they're not on social media, then I just like make a different recommendation. I think everyone will like this poem for you. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, nice little touch there. Again, with the little details. Very good. I like it. So um, thank you so much for coming on the episode today and, and talking to me about the Pleasure Dome and all about you and performing and things like that. Like, it's been really nice to catch up with you. Um, as with so many of my poets, I have yet to meet you in person. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so many. Um, but I absolutely love the Pleasure Dome. I think it's such a fantastic book. And I think so many people out there are really going to love it as well. So if you're listening at home, buy the book. Go direct to Louise. So Louise gets mo like all the money that Louise deserves for the book sales as well. Um, and yeah, uh, I was just sort of wondering if you would like to finish the episode up with a poem. A poem, you say? A poem? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't prepare this earlier or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I thought I'd do a poem that's called Razor, page 28 in the book. And... Um, it's called Razor partly because it's a reflection on me kind of like worrying about razors in the house and pencil sharpeners in the house because we've got an issue with self-harm in the house. So those cutting devices are kind of like top priority in some ways, on some yeah. ways not. And um, so that's why I partly why I called it Razor. But it's also about the razor wit you have when you're being mean to yourself or like maybe when your teenage self is being mean to yourself. Because your teenage self is the most evil bit inside your body. They're like brutal. Um, so this is called Razor. Paper dollar, you are so dry. Your legs look like fat snakes under your American tan tights like a grandma. Do you have moles on your face? You do. And hair grows from your chinny chin chin. Are you a grandma or are you a werewolf or perhaps and mummy, you are so dry, like toilet paper is wrapped all around you and your eyes are red and small. And I can't see any lashes at all, like pistols in the snow white of your dry face, like a desert face with yellow skin and yellow tomb teeth. You are so dry. Your head is a cheap snow globe from a crap holiday with a big fucking crack in it and shit dandruff sprays out when you open your parched mouth to spit bits of desiccated coconut. You are so dry. I bet they call you dry Debbie, disposable dollar, like a pouch of lumpy old tobacco that nobody wants. Not even a beggar will pick you up and roll you in the hay. Paper dollar, you are so dry. I bet I could set you on fire and no one would want to see you strip off to save yourself. Brittle stick, you're just one fat hot flush. You look like an empty hot water bottle that is popped, crying dry tears. And I bet your favourite band is wet, wet, wet. <laughs> Very good. 
so good so brutal so yeah I love that that was great and the wet 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 at the end classic you know when you're like I forgot that that was a band I've made a playlist for the show you know like when I'm taking the pleasure donut and I've, I've had to put a wet 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 song on obviously because yeah. I'm dead into intertextuality so any any band that gets mentioned Elvis is in there the Smiths are in there there's the Blues obviously Frankie goes to Hollywood anyway I'll shut up um, but I, I've tried this out and I think people might have thought I was like shouting at the audience you know telling them they were so dry you if you like came in halfway through you'd be like oh okay <laughs> I had to explain I thought I've not done the introduction very well it's more about myself really it's not about you yeah but you know we've all been there I'm you know yeah and you do get older and you're like oh gosh look at it and your teenage self gets worse you're like oh god shut up you weren't so great either I think exactly exactly (laughs) I remember you teenage self and one of the pimply bitch (laughs) one of the points is about the onion of ourselves that we've all got our little selves inside us and like that's where I know that teenage onion layer is there being me isn't it yeah totally well that was great and I love the rest of the book thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to do this with you I'm so glad that we finally got to work together um yeah the pleasure dome is amazing you should be really proud of it you've done some fantastic work and and everyone needs to read it read the book buy the book people buy it for everyone you know buy it for your teenage selves um tell them to shut up uh, uh good luck with the launch i hope it goes really well um i hope to see you soon and good luck with all the rest of your shows that you're doing um and yeah i hope it hope it goes great and everything's good and give your cats a, cats a cuddle from me yeah oh thank you for being a lovely publisher and i will uh, merrily cart the book along praising you and of course uh all our audiences and readers Oh, of course, of course. Thanks so much, Louise. Okay, bye.